Well, hello, church. Uh, we are looking today at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, as we continue our identity series. Now, today we are looking at what it means to be equipped, to be equipped by God uh, for his mission, uh, for the purpose of his kingdom come and how that affects our identity in him. So this section of scripture, it's also known as the benediction. Here's just a quick overview of the book of Hebrews that we are reading the closing of today before we get into that scripture. So the book of Hebrews delves into Jesus as our high priest. His ministry is the mediator between us and God, shows the Old Testament, both the law and the narrative of Israel as the shadow of the substance of Jesus. We talk all the time, don't we, about how the Old Testament echoes the things of Jesus, the prophecies, uh, all that kind of finds its completion in Jesus's ministry and his death and resurrection. So where is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, sorry, said stay away? The New Covenant says draw near. And that we can draw nearer by the blood of Jesus. So we can draw near in confidence that Christ has done it all. It's finished. There is nothing we can do to add to that salvation. So such a great place to start to think about being equipped in our role as apprentices to Jesus. To inhabit the overflow of God's love and wonder and presence in this world. The main theme of this book, this book of Hebrews, is God bringing peace provided at Calvary as Jesus took on sin to restore our relationship with him. So the benediction, what is a benediction? It's a blessing. It's a set of words that we read, we hear, we say aloud. We're declaring blessing and favour and God's presence on those around us and for ourselves. So in a series all about our identity in him, many of these sayings, these blessings, these benedictions we find in the Bible are surely the go-to definitions for our identity in him. Right now, if you type the UK blessing into Google or into YouTube, you'll find a video with four million views. That's four million people who have heard words of blessing being sung over them by artists around the UK coming together as one church to bless this nation. A blessing and a benediction is something that we want to be saying with our hands out in front, ready to receive from the Father by the presence of his Holy Spirit. So the benediction that we read in Hebrews 13 says this, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now when we look at this section of scripture we can split it up into 
four sections. So the first of those sections is now may the God of peace. Now may the God of peace. This is the source of our peace. God is the source of true peace, true shalom peace. Shalom being the uh, the Hebrew word for a peace that isn't just a gooey feeling of being warm and loved. It's a wholeness. It's a completeness. It's going, God, I am at peace with what you are doing. I am at peace with how your kingdom is moving in my life and the life of those around me. It's the kind of peace that settles us into a place to minister from. Now, the second section of this scripture I want to draw attention to is what I would describe as the preparation of this peace. That we read, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. This is the, the definition of our salvation and how we relate to our saviour, that we see him as our shepherds. That as the sheep in the field look to their shepherds, they know they have security and safety and peace because their saviour is near in times of trouble. That if a wild animal would come and try and take them, that there is someone nearby they can look to for their peace. It also describes that who through his blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. That eternal covenant, that promise of eternal life also is extended to us. So that is part two. Now in part three of this verse, this is the purpose of this piece, which is what we're going to be looking at today as we look at being equipped. It says in verse 21, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. When we read these words, we're asking God to continue to work radically in our lives to his glory. That he equip us, he clothe us with what we need, what we need in order to see his glory done on earth as it is in heaven. That that will come with spiritual gifts and blessing and favour, not so that we can look around and look at all the things we've got, but that we can look at the things that God is giving unto us in order to see his kingdom come. And the last part of this section, the result of this piece, we've looked at the source of it, how it has been prepared, the purpose of it in our lives, now the result, the completion of what it is. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the purpose of our lives. It's the reason for us living as equipped people. To see his glory forever and ever in all things in our jobs, in our lives, in our home life, in the way that we conduct ourselves with our neighbours and our colleagues and our friends and our family, that his glory be present in all those things. 
So here we are, forgiven and atoned people, inhabiting the overflow of God's grace and love for us and living at peace with that. This is a solid foundation for us to work out as equipped people what it is to take this out to the rest of Telford. Now, when we think about being equipped, being given things and learning things and working things out so that we can go out and do things, you know, we think about equipment, we think about courses, things that mean that we are able to go and take on those tasks. Like an athlete packing their bag with their running spikes and their running gear so that they can run the race well. We need to equip ourselves for this mission, for God's glory. And we need to look to whom this equipment, this equipping comes from. Often as Christians, when we think about being equipped in the things of the spirit, we can look to the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5 and the gifts of the spirit that we see in 1 Corinthians verse 12. And they are the right place to look in terms of the things that God equips us with, the ends by which he achieves his mission and the coming of his kingdom. But I want to look at giftings in a wider sense. However, being equipped in the culture around us looks so different to this. It operates less out of the life of the easy yoke alongside the Holy Spirit walking in step with Jesus And it looks more to the pursuit of power and position. Here are three sources that we can see for being equipped in the world around us. And these also can subtly affect us in the church. They're not wholly bad. Sometimes they come from something good, but they are twisted by the world and by the enemy. But we constantly need to be putting our practices and the way that we go about and conduct our lives under the lens of Jesus and his word to know what is heading for the fruit basket and what is heading for the fire. So the first is being equipped to be validated. Where in our lives are we equipping ourselves in order to be validated? It's consumer culture. If I buy this thing, if I go on this experience, if I go on this course, then people will, will, will validate me. If I buy those trainers, people will respect me a little more. If I go on this course, my colleagues will respect my position more. The thing is that we can very quickly in a consumer culture become obsessed with what we don't have or the next fix that we need to get. We can start to protect what we have for fear of losing it. Our attainment of giftings then can become like a scout badge sash. It becomes about what we do and don't have. The badges we've already got and the badges we want to get next. And that's not how the Holy Spirit works. We are called to be the body of Christ. We all have our own jobs in that. 
Some people are called to be the toes. Some people are called to be the pancreas, the liver, the heart, the lungs. If we were all doing the same job, we wouldn't be the body of Christ. We need to refocus on the true purpose at the end of that benediction that we've been reading. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Rather than focusing on what we do and don't have, we need to focus on the true purpose of it all. It says in Luke 24, this is what it is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So that is our first misconception about being equipped, being equipped to be validated. The next is being equipped to be valued, slightly different. Recently, there has been this whole uh, social media storm about retrain, relearn, reboot. It's about what is vital to the community, to the society and to the culture around us. A lot of my friends are artists, musicians and actors, and they're finding life really tough right now because they have trained, they have scraped away a living in the artistic ends of our culture and they're now being told that's not helpful, that's not useful. It's hard. I personally feel that art is so needed in our culture, especially now when there is such a mental health crisis, such a crisis of depression and loneliness and art, music and theatre are ways of expressing those parts of our lives that are tough to talk about. But when we get into a place where we start to value certain things because of what they add to our society or our culture or our community, is we can start to shift into favouring certain giftings in certain seasons. We can start to gear our collective and personal ministry for metrics. What is going to get more bums on seats? What is going to get more engagement through our church's social media platform? Things that we can measure, things that we can see is getting us going in the right direction. What does... The word of God say about that. It says in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Sometimes it may feel like we need to go with what works, with what we see working already. But we need to be listening to what God is calling us to do, not the world. Mark Sayers, who is a church leader in Melbourne, he says, when the world zigs, we have to zag. And that is the way of Jesus. 
And we have to follow the way of Jesus. And the last misconception we've looked at, equipped to be validated, equipped to be valued, the last is equipped to be viewed. This is why I'm doing this. This is the purpose with which I am doing this. The world is searching for purpose and for proof of why we do what we do. And that can be a great pressure on us in the church. Because sometimes the way of Jesus is quite tricky to explain why things are happening, why we do what we do to people who are not Christians. And when we get into this mindset of kind of always trying to find a reason for why we do things, to have that vision statement with why we do the things we do, we can get so obsessed with what works and what doesn't work that we can start to ignore what the Spirit is speaking into what we are doing. We can get caught up in what we have to do to get things done, going through the motions that worked before. In Psalm 96, it says, sing a new song to the Lord. Not sing the song you sang last week and the week before and the week before and the week before. We can't get caught on waiting for everything to align like it did last time for that perfect storm to know whether God is in it or not. It's about word and spirit. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. We have to hold those two things together, the word of God and what God is saying to us right now by the power of his Holy Spirit And they are synonymous. They work together. They back each other up when they are right and when they are of God. I think this quote really sums up those misconceptions about why we are equipped in this culture. It's from Toza and he says, Many people seem to be interested in knowing God for what they get out of him. They do not seem to know that God wants to impart himself. He wants to impart himself, give himself with his gifts. Any gift that he would give to us would be incomplete if it were separate from the knowledge of God himself. What we can so easily see in those three points is how we so quickly become focused on what it has to do with us, what we get out of it, rather than God equipping us with everything good that may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. We need to take our eyes off the gift and focus back on the one who gives it, recognising the peace and completion that he lavishes on us to then equip us for his mission in the narrative of saving souls. If God imparts himself with the gifts he equips us with, why are we so caught up on what we can and can't do with them? God is calling us to be at peace, shalom, 
full, complete wholeness of peace with our identity in him as equipped people. To not focus on deficit, what we do and don't have or possess, because God doesn't run a deficit budget. Rather than focusing on what we have, do we have enough? Is it wanted? Is it right? We need to know, again, that we are saved, we are called, we are equipped, and we are a part of his salvation plan. God has given us what we need, and we are to be at peace with that. Moments after his baptism, Jesus knew this deep shalom peace. As he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be with God, to experience his presence, what he needed to be empowered and at peace with himself and God and his ministry. And this wasn't an isolated occasion in the ministry of Jesus. This was a repeating event. Regularly before he ministered in power, he was drawn to the Aramos, the Greek word for the solitary, desolate, lonely place. He went without agenda to know the Father's affection and his presence and his peace. To be filled with the knowledge of who he is in God as someone equipped for ministry and for mission. Henry Nguyen describes solitude as the furnace of transformation. Without it, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self, our position of power. Solitude is a place of the great struggle and the great encounter. This struggle against the compulsions of the false self. And the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new. Before feeding the 5,000, before healing the sick, before he went to the cross and rose again over death and sin, Jesus retreated with the agenda just to be in God's transforming presence. To learn his true self in God. You see, what we need to be seeking rather than what it is we get out of God, the gifts that we can go away with our, on our sash, is we need to be seeking, as Tozer says, something of being just open to heaven. To cultivate a spiritual awareness and do something about it. We need to be open to what God is saying to us. Active in cultivating it. Active in looking after it. Being with God regularly in a solitary space, praying alone with your Bible open, saying, God, what is it you have? Actively cultivating that time with God and then doing something about it. If God is telling you something, then you need to go and do it, not keep it to yourself. We need to turn up and simply say, here I am, your servant is listening. To be receptive to the call in the wilderness and in the quiet, to draw close to his presence with no agenda, to hear what he proclaims over us and do it. Now, there are two situations where God's people were equipped 
that I want to draw attention to. Both times they were receptive enough to walk by or wait on the fire, the holy fire and presence of God. As a result, they were equipped and they saw renewal, a changing of the patterns of life, the rhythms of life around them. Mark Sayers tweeted recently, we need not just a renewal, but also a reformation, a reformation. Renewal breathes holy fire. Reformation reforms new containers and carriers of that holy fire. The first of these two situations was Moses and the burning bush. It is a word that is clearly for the minster right now. It just keeps coming up. On staff retreat last week, uh, Steph brought us a word from it about encountering God at the burning bush, entering into holy ground and knowing the deep and powerful presence of God. Moses was going slow enough to see the fire burning. And as a result, he stepped into holy ground. He was invited close. He was invited to take his shoes off and step onto holy ground. And as a result, he was refined and reformed by holy fire. And as a result, he would go on equipped by God to save the nation of Israel and lead them to the promised land. Now you'll know if you you don't need to look too closely that Moses was probably not the one with the best CV beforehand. He was not eloquent. He was uh, not what many people would say was the right fit, but God still equipped him anyway to go out and do that mission. He was refined and reformed by holy fire. Where are we getting ahead of ourselves? Where are we ignoring the spiritual calling and anointing out in the wilds? Where are we walking past burning bushes? Times to encounter the tangible fire and presence of God in our daily lives, in our homes, in our workplaces and in our local area. And the second of these occasions is the disciples at Pentecost. They were where they were sent, they were waiting and they were available. They didn't know what was coming next. I said, I read before in Luke 24, you are witnesses of these things and I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. All they knew was coming to wait. They were standing on the precipice of something completely new. Fire fell on that place. They were refined and reformed by holy fire and they went out preaching the gospel in many languages. And as a result, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus and were baptised. Amen. They were refined and reformed by holy fire. Where in our lives can we just be available 
to what God is doing and also to the people around us to be a listening ear, to be a shoulder to cry on, to be someone to sit with them in the dark of what is going on. To give our control to God completely of our finances and our gifts and our time. To let God be the shalom peace and anoint us for what he wants us to do for his glory and his kingdom. Let me pray for us. Holy fire, fall on this place. God, we are here. We lay down our agenda, our programs, our passions. Fill us with a heavenly perspective to inhabit the overflow of who you are. God, we are available for the refining and reforming of our lives for your kingdom. Come, Holy Spirit.